This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns on Thursday. It's my pleasure to join you until then. I hope you are well and staying safe. Beginning on Wednesday, new visitor rules go into effect in long-term care homes across the province. The idea is to provide consistent guidelines at every home and greater access for caregivers. Basically, a resident can name two caregivers who will be allowed to access the home without time limits. And if there's no COVID-19 outbreak, the caregivers may visit together. If there is an outbreak, they will need to visit separately. What do you think about this loosening of the restrictions in nursing homes? Does this make sense in light of an inevitable second wave? I want to hear from you, especially if you have a loved one in long-term care. The numbers are 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll get the conversation going with our Monday Zoomer squad, Bill Van Gorder, acting Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, demographic, demographic expert and vice president here at Zoomer Media. Hello to you both. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank Good you afternoon, for, Jane and David. Yes, thank you for taking time out of your Labor Day to be live on the radio with us here at Zoomer Radio. I want to first get your reactions to the loosened restrictions which go into effect on Wednesday. David, I'll start with you. I think it makes sense um, on paper. I think um, there was a little bit of criticism and and maybe sometimes a lot of criticism about how arbitrary and rigid the first pass at this was. So I think it makes sense. But it only uh, underscores the great variability on this subject and how people are going to have to really uh, take into account what their own circumstances and health are and... uh, you know, be guided by the guidelines, as they're called, but also, you know, think intelligently about what you're doing. Bill, what about you? A good idea to loosen the restrictions? Well, it is a good idea to loosen the restrictions. Our seniors and older adults in long-term care need that help and that contact. However, uh, it really pushes the problem down to the facilities. Uh, The government saying now we've opened it up. But there's still no regular volunteers in long-term staff. You know, many long-term facilities had scores, if not hundreds, of other volunteers coming in to help them during a week. We've still got overworked staff trying to deal both with visitors and with the the residents of, of the home. So it really doesn't solve the overall problem of not having enough staff and services in the home to service the volunteers who want to go there, let alone 
the family members who are living in long-term care. Well, you bring up an excellent point. And on this Labor Day, uh, I'd like to put a spotlight on the PSWs and other staff at nursing homes, uh, long-term care homes across the province, seniors' residences as well. There's no doubt about it. They put their own health at risk by going in during the height of the pandemic to work, in some cases every day, because they saw... The, the increased need for their services, especially because family members weren't allowed to go inside. Uh, so I'm wondering if this has been the backdrop to the conversation. We haven't heard it publicly, David, from Premier Ford and his long-term care minister, but allowing family members inside uh, during a possible second wave will certainly alleviate the workload for the PSWs. Well, up, up to a point, and I think if that's the strategy, that like, we don't have to adequately staff these places because the caregivers are going to come in, um, then that's, that to me seems like a very uh, risky strategy. And I wonder uh, how much uh, thought and planning is behind that, if that's really the actual strategy. They've had all kinds of time to find out exactly how many residents there are. It's a finite number possible to find out how many caregivers exist for that population and what health they're in. Maybe they did do all that auditing. I rather doubt it. So I'm with Bill a little bit on this. It's kind of like, okay, we've loosened it up and uh, uh, fingers crossed. And if that's the case, I don't think that's good enough. No, I. but you know what? The cynic in me feels like <laughs> that, 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 that this is part of it, Bill, that they're thinking, okay, at least, you know, the, the population knows how to deal with a pandemic now. We know about masking. We know to be extra cautious. Uh, so why not let these people in who who are connected to their loved ones to, to help out? Because we saw what the Canadian Forces said about some of the nursing homes in this province. It was dismal. I'm afraid you're you're right. And, you know, CARP has long been advocating for better better ratios of qualified staff in long-term care homes. And the curve is heading up uh, across the country almost everywhere. It's not like uh, covid uh, Numbers are, are going down in some areas. They're higher than they have been for weeks, if not months. CARP has been saying we have to increase the number of staff caring for residents. We have to ensure an appropriate mix of staff. And that's one that's being uh, overlooked. In fact, Marissa Lennox, our chief policy officer, said that the problems impeding long-term care are interconnected and need to be addressed systematically. We don't think for the safety of residents that coming along and for the good health of the staff that this current policy is being uh, uh, applied uh, appropriately. And CARP's really concerned about it. Well, we've we've heard uh, your ads, uh, your public service announcements here on Zoomer Radio about you're going to continue to look into uh, making long-term care homes safer, despite what Premier Ford was saying now months ago about doing that, and that you're going to hold him to that. So update us on what sort of efforts have been made, Bill, in in keeping Premier Ford to his promise of improving long-term care? Well, you know, what, and, and we've, we've been talking at CARP a lot about that, and we're going to continue to. Uh, we're going to have a program uh, this fall that's going to really emphasize it. But one of the things that really concerns us is that uh, concern for our older adult population and long-term care seems to have gone off most of the media map. 
you know, except for uh, Zoomer Media, who fortunately have been continuing to talk about it throughout the summer, you're hard-pressed. I did a, a search today online looking for uh, discussions around long-term care and seniors and the uh, concern, and I couldn't find much in the last four weeks. Right. Lots talking about uh, going back to school, but not about the fact we haven't solved the problem yet with long-term care and the way we're treating our older adults. Right. And David, I'll put this to you from a demographic point of view. I was reading Dr. Teresa Tam's latest briefing notes yesterday, and she points out the highest number of outbreaks continue to occur in long-term care homes and seniors' residences, which increases the risk of severe illness related to the virus. That's almost in the fine print. I was surprised to see that highlighted because there's been so much emphasis on the younger adults population and how they are now representing the most number of cases. But in terms of outbreaks, long-term care is still most at risk. Well, I think the, I think the problem here, and I, I've been kind of harping on this a little bit in the past several weeks, is that the, the information, the definitions, the terminology is all over the map, and it's impossible to get a, a handle on it. And, and the, the inadequacy in the long-term care homes precedes COVID. Um, But if you look at what she said, so what is an outbreak? It's a certain number of cases. How severe are they? We're not told. What is happening with treatment today that wasn't true back in March or April? We kind of vaguely know that it might be getting better. Um, the, The media coverage, including ours, but so many new cases, so many new cases, this number's up, this number's down doesn't have anything to do with the severity of the cases, the likelihood of infection, the likelihood of treatment. What we know is there aren't enough people in the long-term care facilities to deal with this period, and they haven't fixed it. And that, to me, is the real concern. I'm not, I'm not even bothered as much by the percentages, because if we had had only 100 deaths in Canada this entire time, and 99 of them were in long-term care homes, we would have said, okay, well, it's, you know, it affects older people more. And thank God we kept it down to that tiny number. But we didn't. We didn't because we didn't have enough staff. We didn't have the right systems. We didn't have the right protections. And that hasn't really been fixed, to Bill's point. And that, I think, is what we should be uh, focusing on. And I'm more worried about that than the number of cases because I don't have any confidence anyway in what these numbers are for numbers of cases. I think it's just all over the place and there's no consistency so, you know, that's not my biggest worry as much as the inadequacy in these in these facilities. Speak to your concern there about the number of cases and why you are skeptical about that. I'm not skeptical about the number, but I don't know what the number means anymore. Okay. Because originally we were going to just say we don't care how many cases as long as the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. So we went through two months of let's bend the curve. So we bent the curve, and now we're, now we're saying, well, wait a minute, there's more cases. Well, did we think it was going down to zero? Also, what is a positive result? What is a false positive? That's all over the map. I'm not, I'm not being a skeptic here. I'm just saying it's all over the map. Okay. New York Times, which is not exactly a far-right medium interested in making uh, Donald Trump look good, New York Times carried a report that said that up to 90% of the new of the positives they're getting now have such a small 
Uh, they, they, they might be too, the test may be too sensitive because the people are carrying such a small amount of the virus that they couldn't infect anybody else if they tried, and yet technically they're positive. So I read that story as a layman and I say, well, is that true? Is that possible? Right. What are we worrying about? We don't have a reliable set of numbers that everybody agrees on. So what I do is I pivot and say, okay, the numbers are the numbers. Let me see the homes get better. Let me see those staffing levels, and I don't see them. And that's what I'm more worried about than the actual statistics. Well, picking up on that point, let me put that question out to you, the Zoomer Radio listener. If you work in a long-term care home, uh, in a nursing home, or in a senior's residence, how was that experience during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic? And what are you seeing now in terms of preparation for the second wave? And are you as concerned as you've been all the way through the COVID-19 crisis? PSWs, it's your day. It's Labor Day. It's a day that Zoomer Radio CARP has been advocating for for you on your behalf through all of this to make sure Premier Doug Ford and his PCs at Queen's Park live up to their promise to fix long-term care. We may all end up there one day anyway. That is, that is a very real possibility. We need to plan for our own future in long-term care. Also, if you're a visitor of a loved one, if you have somebody in long-term care, one in seven Canadians has somebody they love in long-term care, a family member. How is the experience going uh, from the days of when they opened the doors in the middle of June to now when they're loosening restrictions. 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to Zuma Radio's Fight Back. Jane Brown for Libby Snymer, along with David Kravitz and Bill Van Gorder, our Monday Zoomer squad. Bill, you've brought to my attention a new poll about long-term care. And more of what we've just been saying. Canadians want action. Tell us about the results. Yeah, Narrative Research did a poll uh, that was just released uh, last week. And it showed that uh, Canadians right across the country want an improved level of care and long-term care facilities. But interestingly enough to us, uh, those percentages were highest in Ontario. 91% said that they... Uh, needed to be a higher level of care at long-term uh, care facilities. And 87% said they wanted an increased uh, staff in, in long-term care. The other interesting statistic uh, to me was that although 12% of Canadians across the country reported family members living in long-term care facilities, in Ontario, it's almost 20%. So in Ontario, this is a huge problem for our CARP members who are trying to find out how they can really emphasize with the government, uh, with the Ministry of Long-Term Care, that we need action and we need action now. David, would you like to weigh in on this? Well, I think it's, I think it's a, a very valid observation that people are concerned. We are just getting some early results from what we did uh, with CARP members and Zoomer magazine readers who mirror the same thing. They, act, they actually felt they didn't do too badly handling it themselves, getting through it themselves. But I think it was 80% have no confidence uh, that long-term care is going to be fixed, even though about 70% were generally satisfied. I won't, you know, 
very satisfied, somewhat satisfied, but generally satisfied with how the government's handled it, but they don't have much confidence in the long-term care component going forward. So this could become a, a political you know, hot potato if the government doesn't visibly show uh, a strategy and some action. And I think, to go back to the beginning of the show, just loosening up, okay, if it'll make you happy, have more caregivers go in and now leave us alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a strategy. We have a PSW on the line with us. Gentlemen, let's go to Sherry in Toronto. Hi, Sherry. Can you provide some inside insight into our discussion? Certainly can. Um, I am a certified PSW for about eight and a half years now, and I don't specifically work for um, any particular nursing home. I work for an agency where we're sent in for extra individual care. And the things that I have seen um, in nursing homes is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. The things that I've reported... It, 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 it's very upsetting what I have seen, um, the lack of care, the neglect, the overworked PSWs, um, the lack of supplies. It's about time that our government is finally opening their eyes and realizing the reality of this situation. Sherry, I just want to ask you, in terms of the days before the pandemic and during the pandemic, did you see that same, did you have that same level of concern for the residents? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. I, I, I've seen it, like I said, I've seen it way before this um, epidemic had occurred and it's just funny how something like this had to take place in order for people to actually open their eyes and see what families are actually um, being put through. So you, uh, you don't see any difference now that we're six months into this pandemic. You don't see any difference in improved care, especially in light of uh, the horrific situation with the deaths back in the spring. I don't see any great um, improvement. No, I really don't. Wow. Uh, Bill, David, do you have a question for Sherry? I'm, I'm just dumbfounded. I mean, I'm, I agree. You know, I was kind of expecting that answer, but when you, when you hear it laid out that, that uh, clearly and unambiguously, it's just, it's just uh, uh, shocking. Um, I imagine that, Imagine that a lot of most of the other PSWs, you know, feel the same. It's kind of you guys doing heroic work, and then the system not giving you any help. Sounds mm-hmm. like exactly. So, exactly. so what is your your day like, Sherry? What what do what do you do over the course? Of, is it an eight hour shift? Um, it depends. Every client varies, um, and also location varies as well. I do a lot of um, in home care. But um, a lot of our clientele does take place in nursing homes. So it could be anywhere from a four to an eight-hour shift. Um, It all depends. But I do see the overworked um, PSWs that do work for them. And I do see the lack of compassion and care because of it. And, And why did you choose this line of work? Well, my grandmother had um, had a stroke um, about nine years ago, and I was by her side, oh God, nine hours a day, not knowing exactly what a PSW's responsibilities were, um, but just taking it on. And once she had passed, I realized that that's something that I felt 
in my heart that I needed to do. Um, I wanted to be able to provide care for people who don't have those compassionate family members or, or, or friends or family that are able to sit by their side. So I treat every individual client that I have as if they were my grandparent. Oh, wow. Wonderful. That is wonderful. Bill, do you have any comments or anything you'd like to say to Sherry? Well, Sherry, it certainly is. We, we thank you for the wonderful work you and your colleagues are doing. It's really appropriate we do that on Labor Day. I'm wondering if you've seen any signs of more training and support for people in your position since uh, the whole COVID uh, crisis has underlined the great needs in your industry. Are you seeing any, uh, any of that happening? Um, I haven't personally seen anything, nor has anything been offered to me. So, no, not personally. Well, Sherry, we really appreciate you calling in uh, with your story and your firsthand knowledge uh, about life as a PSW in nursing homes. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. All right. That was uh, good to get that perspective. Uh, We'll switch gears here a little bit, uh, Zoomer Squad, uh, David and Bill, and talk now about the flu vaccine in this year of COVID-19. We've learned that 13 million doses of the vaccine have been ordered for Canadians this year, compared with just over 11 million last year. David, what do you make of this? Well, uh, I'm assuming that my comment would be based on what they think the demand will be uh, based on people being more vigilant after COVID. I'm, I'm not aware of some technical reason or some difference in this year's flu um, that, would, that would make that necessary. But I think there's no question that there is a heightened awareness of the importance of uh, vaccines and the importance of being healthy and the, the devastating effect of underlying comorbidities or weakened health in dealing with COVID and everything you can do to make, uh, you know, the rest of your system stronger, um, you know, protects you from from death. Literally, it uh, saves your life. So it's vitally important to be armed with uh, you know, every weapon at your disposal. And I think the government recognizes this and uh, and they've acted accordingly. Right. And and Bill, a survey does show that more parents are planning to get the vaccine for their kids in order to help protect uh, the older people in their lives, their grandparents primarily. Yes, uh, they, they are. And, and to protect all the people in their lives, not necessarily older, who are would be really at risk if uh, they had flu when COVID came back again. It is, you know, the one of the pieces of good news is in Ontario, the Health Ministry has ordered 300,000 more doses than uh, last year, and they say they're looking at uh, purchasing more. So there seems to be some solid action in that regard. As long as it gets to the people, in the long run, it gets it needs to get to. And that, you know, that whole how and who will get the vaccine is an area that uh, we haven't heard much in terms of government plans or decisions on, and it's a real worry to CARP and others. What is uh, what may bode well for us, David, is that the Southern Hemisphere's flu season has been lighter than usual as a result of public health restrictions related to COVID-19. So this could be good news for us, but then again, with viruses, nothing is a certainty. For sure, and but that is good news, and I think that... Um, 
I think COVID-19, and it's a terrible reason to arrive at a good place, but I think COVID-19 has made more people aware of the importance of preventive measures. Um, the number of people, and I forget whether this was uh, research from the CDC in the United States or for Health Canada, but the number of COVID fatalities where there was no underlying health concern, where there was no other thing going on, it was just COVID on its own, was a very small percentage of the fatalities, I think less than 10%. So if you can eliminate some of the underlying or at least reduce some of the underlying weaknesses and position yourself as being healthier, you know, to begin with, it's all the better. And I think people are very watchful. Uh, and I want to just say quickly that maybe going forward, maybe if we jump six months, it'll be a interesting topic to to uh, explore. Are we going to be more careful about contact uh, with regard to colds and flu mm-hmm. generally? Are we ever going to go back to hugging and and uh, kissing and, and all that stuff? That That habit could change, you know, long after COVID is gone. Well, the public health experts would like it if we if we kind of got into a new normal permanently, (laughs) right? Um, I found this to be an interesting stat. I'll get you to both comment on it. Uh, From one of the medical directors at the British Columbia Centre for Disease Control, only 60% of seniors typically get vaccinated for influenza, and that decreases to 50% for people with chronic heart and lung disease. I found that surprising. But on, on the flip side of that, the irony of that is that someone who gets influenza and COVID at the same time will be more ill. So, so Bill, you know, it leaves me sort of wondering why four in 10 seniors are not getting the flu shot. Yeah, this, this has been a problem for years. As, as you may know, I spent 15 years as the CEO of the Lung Association in Nova Scotia and worked on the national lung staff. And uh, so I had a lot of involvement when the flu vaccines first came in. And our goal in those days was to reach 60% because uh, the researchers told us that as long as 60% of people would uh, take the vaccine, that would help with the herd immunity and keeping it down. And now we're looking at uh, 40% not getting as a huge uh, issue. So it is it is surprising, but it's been a continual problem. People just people will say, I've never had the flu, so I don't need the vaccine and they don't uh, take it. And we've just got to we've got to double down on the uh, promotion of everybody getting the flu vaccine this year. And I just hope that the uh, good news from the southern hemisphere doesn't make people complacent and therefore not as likely to want to get the regular flu vaccine this year. David? I agree completely. I think that the um, uh, awareness, I'm, I'm going to be an optimist here, I think that the, the dreadfulness of the whole COVID experience is making more people aware of what else can I do, you know, with the rest of my uh, health. Um, should I be more watchful of other things? Uh, everything I can do to make myself uh, healthier uh, protects me, and the vaccine is a key component of that. And we certainly are going to keep promoting that very strongly, both at Carp and Zuma. 
I thank you both for your time on this Labor Day. It's always always interesting speaking with you both. Great, great talking to you, Jane. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bill Van Gorder, Acting Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. For more information on CARP, go to carp.ca. And David Kravitz, Demographic Expert and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.